Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening. Live from New York, it's the Love Tennis Podcast, as they definitely don't say on one famous American TV show. Uh, Welcome back. Thank you very much for coming back and listening. Welcome to the first US Open podcast. Uh, I am here in New York. George Belshaw is in Birmingham. Calvin Betton is in Barnsley. There cannot be three more glamorous locations from which to podcast. Uh, I'm going to start with an apology which is that because of the uh, transatlantic nature and the cheap nature of my hotel, uh, this podcast may be something of satellite delay. I'll do my best to fix it in post, and we will do our best to deal with it, but um, we will just have to cope, I'm afraid. So apologies in advance. Um, Hopefully it won't happen too often. Uh, We've obviously got loads to talk about. We're recording this on Friday morning uh, US time, Friday afternoon over in the UK, Uh, The draw came out yesterday, just as I was uh, landing on American Tarmac, pretty much. They uh, announced that Novak would not be playing and that the draw was out. Uh, We'll go through the men's and the women's. We'll talk a bit about who's done well out of it, who's done poorly out of it. Uh, We'll have a look at the fantasy tennis implications as well. Uh, And we'll also go through Forbes' list of highest paid tennis players, which has got a couple of interesting figures on it as well, courtesy of Jose Morgado on Twitter, the uh, ever-followable and very useful. Well, one of the members of the 100K club. Um, I I can't tell you who the other members are because it would be potentially incriminating, but um, they call themselves that, I believe. Let's start with the news that broke yesterday, which... I don't think surprised any of us, but was at least news that Novak Djokovic would not be travelling to the USA for the US Open. He revealed about half an hour before the draw came out 
or was made, I should say, uh, that he would not be travelling. He said, I will not be able to travel to New York this time for the US Open. Thank you, hashtag NoLayFam, for your messages and love and support. Good luck to my fellow players. I'll keep in good shape and positive spirit and wait for an opportunity to compete again. See you soon, tennis world. Uh, George, did you ever realistically think that Novak would be coming to New York? <laughs> uh, not, not really. I mean, it seemed like there was a brief glimmer of hope with a few kind of regulations changing in the states i mean i i, I wouldn't say i i sympathize with him over this because ultimately this is this is his choice not to uh not to uh get the jab in the first place but um he, he's somewhat unfortunate in terms of various laxing of rules around the world that he's been caught in this uh, moment here and it, it is just a bit bizarre isn't it i suppose it, it, in some ways that he was able to compete uh, in 2021 there um but but can't now um, and nothing's really changed from his side um, it's just kind of the way way of the world i suppose and you know i'm you know I, I wouldn't want to try and second guess u.s laws going forwards but it wouldn't surprise me that much if he's allowed straight in in 2023 or possibly would be allowed in later this year um mm -hmm. so yeah this sympathy won't won't flow from me greatly but he is also you know trapped in a strange world we're in in terms of legislation on this now yeah and i think a lot of people have said oh it's another grand slam that novak's not going to get points for out with his control now he's obviously not going to get points from three grand slams this year the Wimbledon one was really out with his control, but I'm afraid that the other two are within his control. I, I know that will be somewhat controversial for some people, but that that's the reality of it. Every single other player managed it, and he didn't. That, that, that's the, the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some absolutely batshit theories on Twitter about, you know, the Moderna sponsoring the US Open the vaccine <laughs> and uh, that being why but the US Open are just following the US government's <laughs> regulations. Yes, that, that, I mean so. that should be pointed out as well that everyone's like oh the USTA have banned Novak. The USTA have got nothing to do with it. Sure they could have lobbied government harder I'm sure and I've no idea how hard they did lobby or didn't lobby government but the reality is that this is a decision that comes from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control in the US and yeah, there isn't really anything the the USTA could do about it. I hope that you're getting, by the way, the really authentic like New York traffic noises from my cheap mid -ho midtown hotel. <laughs> like that, I'm getting like the sirens and the hooting and the I'm walking here, uh, which I hope come across on the on the audio. Um, anyway, so no Novak in the draw. I mean, George, the, the controversial thing was that he pulled out he pulled out before the draw, which is good. And credit where credit's due, he would have been to an extent within his rights to cling on. I mean, even until Monday, he could have asked for a Tuesday start and yeah. he could have said, oh, I think, you know, I think the regulations are going to change on Monday and I'll just get the private jet over on Monday afternoon and play Tuesday, which obviously would have created um, a lucky loser hanging around for four days and then replacing him were he not able to come. So I suppose we should give him some credit for doing that. But could he have pulled out before the qualifying draw as well? Because then instead of having a lucky loser spot, everyone just would have shunted up. And you would have had, I think it was Pol, is that right? I'm just checking who the... Pol Martin Tiffon was the first alternate into qualifying who ended up um, obviously not playing at all. Is it unfair to ask him to pull out a week before rather than four days before? Uh, 
I mean, I can see kind of both sides on it. I, in Novak's defence, there was enough movement in the US on this policy that it suggested it could potentially come to his aid if the, if there was some uh, very quick uh, decisions made. So I, I understand him hanging on to this point. I, I do also get the point about qualifiers. I know Liam Brody kind of was making the call to this and you know he said it wasn't about Novak and was more about players who know they're injured. I mean, we've seen Katie Bolter do this in the past um, at the French Open, for example, where she, she pulled out after the French Open draw had been made essentially to pocket some money, um, which I also, given the state of tennis, I don't necessarily blame players like Katie Bolter for doing that because at the end of the day, qualifying for the slams, this is such a huge portion of their prize money of the year that actually the ranking itself is almost like your your payment in some ways. So I don't I don't really begrudge them doing that. Um, you know that's not going to be the case for someone like Novak who's got more money than you can imagine. You know whatever twenty grand he would have got from splitting the first round prize money um, wouldn't really benefit him that greatly. But it, it's a problem in tennis's ecosystem as a whole that these are the the money at these events is so bigger so much bigger proportionally than other events that it creates this problem you know mm. you don't, why the hell would you pull out if you're one of the players in those spots particularly not one of the very top guys like this is a massive chunk of your yearly earnings is there an argument and i don't know if this argument has ever been made before but is there an argument that the grand slams should be um turning themselves not into loss making ventures but basically taking some of the money out of their own prize pool and sticking it into more prize pools, like in the run-up events, in order to sort of seed the ground a bit more. Yeah, it's they hundred percent should be doing that. Mm. It, it's it's so you don't need, for example, like the winner of a Grand Slam doesn't need to get what is it now two and a half million pounds. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, and even like if you ask the players, they would rather have a bit more in the other tournaments than even the first rounders, like sixty grand in the first round as you know it's it, it doesn't weigh up because then too much goes on one tournament mm. if, if you're injured for the if you're you know if you're a you know say you're a guy who's ranked say you know a 100 ish and you miss you're injured you miss one of the slams that's 60 grand out of your overall money whereas you'd rather be getting it more regularly yeah yeah it seems sort of overly top heavy and I, I think, you know, this is one of those sliding scale arguments where it's just where you want the the sort of pinch point to be. But as you say, Calvin, it, I mean, if you're someone who plays and loses every first round of a slam, it, that's what, £200,000? I imagine if you're 9500 in the world, that's a pretty big chunk of money, right? Yeah, but also I, th- I think it's not even difficult to solve. It's, I'm not talking about taking huge amounts of money. Mm. out of the slams you're taking if you took a quarter of a million out of each of the slams total prize pool and you'd find another million pounds to go into the rest of the circuit and that's on both men's and women's so mm. uh so half a million from each mm. you'd solve the ecosystem entirely yeah. it would also have a far bigger impact on the women's circuit where prize money is objectively lower and on a regular basis you have tournaments where you know the women and the men run alongside each other and the women are getting paid half what the men are getting paid, or even greater orders of magnitude. 
Um, yeah, I found it funny, Liam Brody tweeting about it. He said, there should be a rule against late withdrawals from slams when you know you aren't going to play. Really tough on number one seeds in slam qualifying, seeing players they know aren't playing on the main draw list but still have to go through qualifying. Um, he, he said it wasn't about Novak, although obviously that's partly what triggered the conversation. And he has now spent, I think, the last week just dealing with um, with bots (laughs) yeah yeah extreme trolling for want of a better word um but i've just seen the outfit that he's been wearing for us open qualifying and i'm thinking that maybe he deserves it so i don't know um anyway let's move on to the draw in which novak was not i think he was down to be the number six seed he would have been um so his removal shunted everyone up it also meant maya it it favored another serb funnily enough because it means maya mir kepmanovic uh, is a number 32 seed rather than being what frankly would have been quite a dangerous floater. Um, just to kind of run you through the headlines or at least what I thought were the um, the picks of the draw, Nick Kyrgios drawn against his great friend Tanasi Kokonakis, Carlos Alcaraz against Sebastian Baez looks like a good first rounder, um, Pablo Carreño Booster against Dominic Team, Tommy Paul against Bernabe Zapata Morales I think might be the, the sort of low-key entertaining match of the round basically because Sebastian Morales is always good to watch and Oscar Otter up against Hubert Hercats also quite a good looking first round tie I thought we might try and run through the draw kind of section by section let's start at the top of the men's draw with the world number one and top seed Daniil Medvedev who is of course defending his title a grand slam title for the very first time he is defending um he's picked up Stefan Kozlov the American in the first round um, the other seeds in his section are Niklas Basilashvili, his slated third-round opponent, uh, and then the fourth round he could either get Kyrgios or Batista Agut if things go go to form. Um, George, I would say that Kyrgios in the fourth round is not a great draw for Medvedev. No, I mean, obviously Nick beat him a couple of weeks ago, and Nick's having a very good year. I, I, I still, I still would back Medvedev over five sets on a hard court against Kyrgios. Um, I think he would. Yeah, I think um, he he would find a way through in that format. But you know, Kyrgios is full of confidence. I, weirdly, I think Batista Agut is a bit of a nightmare for Kyrgios as well. That's the sort of last sort of player he wants as a seed kicking around. Um, it, it's that sort of match where he has the complete brain meltdowns because it's like, oh, for God's sake, this bloke just keeps getting in the bloody court and I'm going to lose my head because I should be beating this guy because he's got nothing about him. And yet he's still making me play that extra shot and extra shot and I'm bored and, you know, screw this guy and shut up crowd and whatever. <laughs> that's, that's kind of, that feels like a risky round for um, potential match for him. But yeah, I mean, look, Medvedev, Kyrgios fourth round, we'd, we'd be all here for it. That would be a cracking way to kickstart the second week. Mm. Calvin, Kyrgios Kokinakis in the first round. I mean, how do you think that works? I mean, I, I know Nick's, Getting inside Nick's head is probably quite a weird place to be, but um, to get his best mate in the first round of the Australian Open, uh, do you think it might kickstart his campaign a bit? Um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how that works because when he plays the lads who he gets on with, they seem to not want to upset him and it's all a bit chummy and a bit silly, I think, when that's happened before um, because they know he's... Let's be honest, he's, he can be quite a nasty so-and-so, Nick Kyrgios, um, towards the players. And I think, when it, especially when he's playing and afterwards in the press conference, um, and I think that they, his mates tend to not want to see that side of him. So it's mm. all, always a bit of a weird atmosphere without naming names of his other mates who... <laughs> 
behave uh, like that when they play him. So I think it'd just be a strange match. Uh, Kyrgios will win it. I, I do think he also misbehaves. His misbehaviour is levelled depending on who he's playing. Like, I think if he has respect for the person on the other side of the net, he misbehaves less. Like, even the Wimbledon final, if you actually think about it, like, in the sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the Hall of Fame of Nick Kyrgios performances, and I mean sort of antics, the Wimbledon final actually wasn't wasn't that bad compared to what it could have been because I think he respects Djokovic. Whereas I think when he gets on court with someone who he really doesn't like or doesn't respect then I think you see much more of his behaviour. So I think you're probably right. I think it will be a, a slightly odd atmosphere. Um, but th- th- he posted on Instagram saying, let's put on a show, buddy. Um, I think it will be good to watch. I mean, of course, it'll be good to watch. They're, they're two very good to watch players, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I was going to say, the, the other player who is probably worth a brief mention in this section is uh, young Ben Shelton, who was quite impressive during... Um, his debut at tour level, and he—I think—I think I'm right in saying he's just turned pro before this tournament. So he's um, facing a qualifier or lucky loser round one. So that that'll be a, a good one for the the home nation to get behind. Am I right in saying that he won the uh, wild card challenge to win, or is it because he won the the college? I know he's the NCAA singles uh, champion in college. I'm not sure if that's how he got his wild card or whether he won the wild card challenge. I'm not quite sure. I think because it was complicated. Ah, I tell you what it was. It was complicated because JJ Wolf won the wild card challenge, but then after a couple of withdrawals, JJ Wolf got in on direct entry. I think um, so. It just made things a little bit more complicated. Um, so I think he was a runner-up in the wild card challenge. Anyway, yes, you're right, George. One to watch, Ben Shelton. Um, he could get Basil Ashvili in the second round, which you know you can imagine that being on a one of the more fun courts like on grandstand or something and with a decent crowd behind him that'd be a good watch um let's move on to section two quickly um there are a few good matches in here bublik gaston looks like a bit of a again a, a low-key a low-key entertaining one um Karenu booster team is obviously a dreadful draw for team i don't think we need to say much more about that um but it would be worth talking about jack draper against emil rusavori uh in the first round he the winner of that plays more than likely Felix Orger Aliasim. Um Rusevor obviously beat uh, Draper at Queens this year. He, Pretty comfortably. I think I mean and Calvin may disagree with this, but Rusevori hits it reasonably flat and reasonably big. Um which seems to be quite a poor matchup for Jack Calvin. That that certainly I had someone say that to me and it made some sense. Uh I mean Jack would rather play somebody we can tee off against for sure, but um, knowing Jack as I do, I don't think he'll be worried about playing Rusevori. But Rusevori is a very good player. Mm. Um, I think he'll be top. I certainly think he'll end up being top twenty in the world. Mm. Um, top. He might even get a sniff at top ten. He's very mm. good. Mm. Um, so I think that'd be a, yeah. It's a good match. I think it'd be a close match. Uh, how much do you think um, going deep last week or, or producing a couple of pretty big performances? Um, over the last week, he he got to the quarterfinals in Winston Salem. He got to the quarterfinals in Canada as well. I mean, Jack strikes me as someone who does want some wins under his belt. I mean, obviously you'd always want wins under their belt, but the balance between physicality and confidence and match sharpness is a difficult one to strike for someone like Jack, isn't it? Yeah, but I also think it's just about knowing that you're of that level 
and and just every every time you win it 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 sort of just puts another another coin in that bank i suppose mm. every time you know and he's at the age where every every win at a tour level is still a good win because uh, it just puts more in the bank and and as i've said before you know jack's jack's mentality will never be an issue uh he's a competitor um the only issue which which he's still i suppose left to confirm that he's over is the physical part of things mm. um whether he can stay injury free and that kind of thing for a sustained period in order to drive himself into the top 20 and the top 10 would you um give him much of a chance if he if he did come past route tavori against Sojer Aliassim Cal? uh yeah i think so um i don't think that's a given by any stretch um, and I think, again, what's most important, the most important aspect about this is that Jack will give himself a good shot against Auger Aliassime. Um, they'll know each other. Um, I'm sure they'll have played each other in juniors. Um, although Felix was absolutely dominant in juniors, as I've said before. So I don't know how that would have gone. But but yeah, Jack will certainly favour himself. And that is a decent matchup for Jack, as it happens. Uh, Auger Aliassime is not a great returner. Jack's got a big serve. Um, he is f- a bit frail mentally, is Felix. And mm. Jack isn't, so... Yeah, an interesting little section. Whoever comes out of that will have earned it um, and they will pick up, uh, we think, Daniil Medvedev in the quarter-final. Uh, moving on to the section three where we find Stefano Tsitsipas, the number four seed. I've got this down as a bit of a stinker for Stefano Tsitsipas to be in this section. Um, because he's slated to get Maxime Cressy potentially in the third round, and then p- perhaps Matteo Berrettini in the fourth round, or even Andy Murray, um, heaven forbid, who's in there against Francisco Cherenvolo, the Argentinian, uh, in the uh, opening round. George, do you agree with that assessment? Not a great draw for Tsitsipas? Um... Yes and no. I mean, Cressy is an awkward player, but he he, he beat him pretty well uh, last time they met in the US Open. I, I suppose Cressy's come on since then, so and Sissipas has perhaps stalled since then. Um, Berrettini Berrettini's a bit of a funny one at the minute. I think if you'd have asked me a month ago, I'd back Berrettini fairly comfortably in that match, but he's slightly stalled a little bit on the USR court, so that that feels quite even. That would be a pretty good fourth round match if we do that. Um, from Murray's perspective, I think oh, he's got a fancy his chances against Serendola. That's a pretty good seed draw, mm. I would say, for him. Um, that's a, a good opportunity to win and take over a seed draw. Um, and then you look John Millman round two. Millman's not what he was. Um, and, you know, Berrettini's not in perfect form. So that that's a potential opportunity then. But yeah, it's an interesting section, that's for sure. And you know, you haven't mentioned Davidich Fakina and Fuksovic as well. You know, they're they're guys you don't really want to meet early on in the slam either, uh, who are floating in there. So, wouldn't surprise me if there are a few shocks in that little bit, to be honest. Mm. Um, Cherenzolo, obviously a bit of a rising star of the tour, albeit that he is twenty-four, but something of a, a late bloomer. I mean, Calvin, I've been hearing some things about Andy Murray. Um, and trying to work out why he's been doing all this cramping. I mean, I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I was having dinner with someone last night, and I, I suggested, and there didn't get much disagreement, that 
to be cramping this many times in this many matches, even in a North American hardcore swing, is, I mean, it's a bit of a concern, isn't it? It's not like Murray's not fit enough. Yeah, um, the, cramps a strange one, though. It's difficult to pinpoint because there are certain times where, you know, you only have to look at footballers and they cramp. Yeah. And you'd think they play 90 minutes every week. Why are they cramping sometimes? Which makes me wonder, and I've, this has always been a sort of theory of mine, I, I have no evidence to back it up, is that pressure does play a part in it. Mm. Um, if, if you're putting pressure on yourself, then I think that must play some sort of part in cramping. Maybe your muscles get tenser or something, I don't know. But it's difficult to tell why a person is cramping. Um, it won't be his age. You know, there, there's people, Novak Djokovic doesn't cramp, um, mm. Nadal doesn't cramp, and as you say, it's not a lack of fitness, which makes me wonder whether it is just, um, whether it's just that he's he's putting pressure on himself, mm. he's feeling the pressure of it. Yeah, I do wonder whether, I, I do, it's, it's not remotely in his nature, and I don't think he would ever be able to do it, but I do wonder what Andy Murray would look like if he came out and said, you know what, this is a freebie. And I, I'm not putting lots of pressure on himself. But I don't think I've ever heard him talk about tennis in that way, ever. So I don't think he could do it. But, you know, you do wonder if that would change things and whether it would allow him to play that, that game style that we've said he needs to. He's he's not got a bad draw. It's quite a good draw, I think, Yeah. Uh, in terms of... He's got Cherandulo, hasn't he? Who's the... He plays the winner of... Milman Nava. Yeah, he'll, I expect he'll win both of those. The, what's important... What's paramount importance is he can't be getting dragged into five set matches in yeah, those. 100%. He just can't. If he doesn't, if say he goes through in a straight and a four, either either or, he, I think he might fancy playing Berrettini. Mm. Yeah. If it is Berrettini. Yeah. Berrettini's not in any sort of form. No. There's just no way he's going through the first two in straight. <laughs> but he should though, George. I agree. I know what you're saying. I, 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 I agree, but he should do. If, yeah, if you yeah, look at on it, he, he should be able to beat those two, those three opponents, whichever one it is, in straight sets. There's there's no question. He's he's one of the top twenty players of all time. Yeah, and they're not in the top twenty thousand players of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to do the maths on that, but I don't think I've got the time. And we certainly don't have the time. Let's move into section four. Um, the Top of the bottom of the top, I should say. Uh, all of these matches, by the way, will be on Monday. This is the top half of the men's draw, which is going to go on Monday's order of play, whenever that comes out tomorrow. We think uh, this section's got, I think, five qualifiers in it and two and three protected rankings, which officially makes it the most open section of the draw. The seeded players are Taylor Fritz, Casper Ruud, Tommy Paul, and Botic van der Zanschloop. Um The significant names in there as well, and incidentally. Those lucky losers and protected rankings don't even include Sebastian Corder and Tim van Richthoven, both of whom are, I would suggest, unseeded floaters. Overall, it's an absolute um, sort of just crack den of a, of a draw, to be quite Our frank. Our crash, isn't it? Yeah. Fantasy-wise, who on earth would you pick? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, you, def- you definitely want to pick someone, but you just don't know who. Um, <laughs> I would be tempted by Casper Rude. Uh, I mean, look, yeah. uh, obviously Carl Edmund's a great story, and I'm going to be talking to him later on today. And, um, you know, it's brilliant to see him back in the main draw of a Grand Slam in the singles for the first time, I think, in three years. And he's been on a very, very long road to get back here but drawing Casper Ruud in the first round is an absolute stinker isn't it George it is yeah and 
I don't really see Carl having a, having much of a hope to be honest. Um, yeah, I think that, that that'll be too big a step for him. But I hope I'm wrong because you know Kyle on the top of his game could certainly give Rude a good match and but I'd back him to have very good chances of winning that match. But yeah, yeah, he's not quite there at the minute as he so mm. you'd expect uh, Rude to come through that. I mean, <clears throat> as much as I'm saying this is open. I still would probably just be picking Rude and Fritz to be the fourth round here. I think both those guys have had good years. They seem in fairly decent nick, decent form. Um, so, yeah, I, I still think they're probably the favourites, but it's they're certainly not such clear favourites that you would um, you wouldn't bet against another cheeky Bowtitch run or Big Tim, Tim Van R. Tim T- TVR. Uh, don't write off Tommy Paul. Someone... Uh, tweeted us the other week saying great to hear a mention yeah. of Tommy Paul on the podcast if only for about 10 seconds um, but he, he is having a good year and he is a player who can play uh, we, we, we've seen that on various different surfaces his hero is Tim Henman which I think is a, a, a fine choice uh, albeit an unusual one for an American <laughs> the, the only problem really is that he wears his hat backwards and I know there are a lot of them now but I think we should still call this kind of thing out whenever we see it it's not right these hats are not built for this you should wear them the right way around I, I, I was I was actually wondering the other day that what is the age where wearing a cap backwards it's just ridiculous it's got to be like, like I think 24? there must be an age where it comes yeah I'd, I'd agree on that it's it's early early to mid 20s I think mm. you know you see a lot of sort of 19 20 year olds and they do it and but there has to come a point where, like, no, this is ludicrous now. Yeah, move on, get a job. Uh, let's move on to the bottom half of the men's draw. We've got to pick up the pace here. We're lagging behind the schedule. Um, section 5 has Hubert Hurkats in it and Yannick Sinner, which would be a really nice fourth-round match, actually, I would suggest, between those two. Um, those trying to put a fly in the ointment include Grigor Dimitrov, Lorenzo Mazzetti, although I'm not expecting a huge amount from him at the moment, um, not many other names, to be quite frank. I mean, Martinez, Steve Johnson, Adrian Manorino, Sam Query, you're all guys you're not expecting to get past round two at the very best. Um, talk to me about that Hercat-Sinner matchup, Calvin. It it feels... I can't quite work it out. I mean, they're sort of two guys at quite similar points of their career. Yeah. Um, kind of got a real feeling of a sort of, you know... Master Series quarterfinal vibe <laughs> to it, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, sort of Indian Wells quarterfinal. Yeah. Uh, you don't expect to see that kind of match. But uh, yeah, they're both good players. I think they're both players who will be around the top 10 in the world for the next, at least the next five or six years. Mm. Um, so I think they'll they'll end up playing a lot, each other a lot, I would think. Mm. Um, I'd favour Sinner. Urquhart's, you know, doesn't seem on the best of form. Uh, My question mark with Sinner is the the guys that he's lost to this summer, and I know it's like quite a limited sort of sample size, but since Wimbledon, Pablo Carreño Booster and Felix Auger-Aliassime, and he hasn't really played anyone else in the top 20, and he's lost all those matches. Uh, And it just makes me think that this plateauing uh, that we've talked about with Yannick Sinner before, it just feels like he is rubbing up or banging up against the kind of wall and I don't know I know he's working with Darren Cahill now so things will be changing I'm sure but it just feels like there's a there's a wall here that needs to get over 
I was actually going to say similar to you though, though, there, James, that he's, he's had a weird summer actually in that he's not been in great form, but he's beaten the guy who we think is probably the third favourite for the tournament three yeah. times. Yeah, so uh, if you're doing that, then you're probably you can say you are in great form, but then you look at the rest of his results and you think it's actually not in great form. But but, um, but maybe, and and this brings us on quite nicely to the next section of the draw, which includes Carlos Alcaraz. Maybe we just need to cool our jets on Carlos Alcaraz a bit because there has been a bit of what some what statisticians call mean reversion, which is where you know he had this unbelievable run of form, but you know. Yes, he's, he made the final in Croatia, which is where Sinner beat him. But he's lost to Tommy Paul. He's lost to Cam Norrie. Um, he lost to Lorenzo Mazzetti in Germany. He obviously lost to Sinner in, at Wimbledon as well. You know, that for all that we were really impressed when he went and won all those big matches in the clay court season, we, we have to then say, well, hang on. He's also lost quite a lot of quite winnable matches. Um, he's spoken specifically about dealing with the pressure, I think, in Canada. Um do we not have to say that Carlos Alcaraz isn't the third favourite for this tournament now, Calvin? Um, no, I think he probably still is. I'd struggle to see who would beat him. You could say Pass maybe, but uh, he beat Pass here last year and he's a better player than he was back then. Um, yeah, he's had a couple of losses, but I, th- I think the Spaniards know how to peak. Uh, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> he's, um, great, great. That's a hell of an allegation. <laughs> yeah. He's um, he's got a great draw, Alcaraz. To be honest, I know, I know like Baez isn't necessarily the easiest first round, but that's a pretty dream section he's in. I think he'll probably meet Sinner quarterfinals. I'm pretty sure I'll be picking Sinner from that bracket for fantasy wise. I quite like his draw as well, but. I I I think Sinner will beat him. I do. I think he's got his number this summer, and I think Sinner's the more likely to get to the semi-finals of those two. I don't think I see Sinner winning the tournament per se, but I think he can bring an end to Alcaraz, which, you know, in terms of his Grand Slam year, a couple of quarterfinals is, I suppose, progress. But you know, this feels like he's lacked that really great Slam, doesn't it, this year? Maybe. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, his section, incidentally, is Borna Chorich in round three uh, and then either Dan Evans or Marin Cilic in round four, which I think Alcaraz probably fancy uh, quite a lot. Let's move on to section seven of the men's draw. We've got three minutes to the bottom two sections. Uh, Cam Norrie, Holger Rune, Denis Shapovalov and Andre Rublev. Pick one of those, George. Uh, I fancy Norrie, to be honest. Um, Rublev's a bit out of form. Dennis has been pretty awful all year. Holgerun is a good player. You never quite know what you're going to get, but still there. So yeah, I think Nori will be consistent. He'll he'll go to the quarters. Would be my pick. Which incidentally, would, which incidentally would be pretty massive for his ranking because he is defending no points from last year because he lost first round here uh, last year. So if he can make the quarterfinals, it'll pop him up maybe as far as seventh in the world. Obviously, Novak's losing a whole load of points as well, so he'll he'll almost certainly go past him. It, it would be a pretty serious, you know, given that he got to the semis of Wimbledon and, and got squat all for that, bar a nice big check, um, it would be a pretty big boost for him to make that, yes, George. And the other the other uh, elephant in the room, I suppose, is we're, we're still not 100% sure where Rafa is physically. And I tell you what, if Rafa doesn't come through that section, 
Nori's going to the semi-finals because it, <laughs> the rest of that section is terrible. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a typical... But Nadal is going to win this tournament, I'm fairly certain. It's a typically excellent draw for Rafa Nadal. As you know, the way the Grand Slam draw systems work, they are designed to be good for very highly ranked seeds, but his the seeds in his section are Kesmanovic, who wouldn't have been a seed, or he wasn't a seed until Thursday morning, uh, Francis Tiafo, who, you know, is a fine player, but he is who he is, and Diego Schwartzman, which, I mean, does Diego Schwartzman not have like a historically terrible record against Nadal in terms of head-to-head? Because he's basically just like a much worse version of him. Oh, that's right. He beat him in Rome in 2020, and it was the first time in like 10 meetings that he'd won. But then he did get battered at Roland Garros in four sets last year. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Nadal's Ra- just, uh, Nadal, Nadal, sorry, James. Nadal just batters anybody who's small. It's basically <laughs> impossible to play him. If you're hitting every ball above your shoulders, yeah, that that does make I, sense. He he's got an absolute, he's got an absolute dream draw, Nadal, which is just so predictable. Now Djokovic is out, but there's just no way he's not winning this tournament. It's already written. In the are, are we looking at another one of those? Are we looking at another one of those Nadal U.S. Opens where yeah, hundred percent. Wins it. Medvedev will lose to Kyrgios or something. Uh, It'll be Nadal versus Karina Buster in the final. Nadal, like Tommy Paul in the final or something like that. <laughs> Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. So we've cracked through the men's draw in record time. We're now going to crack through the women's draw as well, which uh, it won't surprise you when I tell you is wide open as per usual. Uh, they might as well not bother with seedings in the women's draw, quite frankly, at the moment. It's completely batshit. But, um, well, there's there's already a, an absolute cracker of a, a first round, to be quite frank. Um, we'll start at the top. Why not? Uh, so this is the top half of the women's draw, which is going to be taking place on Tuesday. Um, the bottom half of women's draw is on Monday, which means Serena Williams will play, we think, Monday night uh, or overnight Monday in the UK. 
Iga Shontek leads the draw as the number one seed, the world number one and the top seed, albeit perhaps not the form player coming in. She's got Jasmine Paolini in the first round and maybe Sloane Stevens in the second. Uh, George, I think the pick of the round is in this section, and it's, um, and I apologize for mispronouncing this, Zhen Xin Wen Wen, uh, against Yelena Ostapenko, which I think is just the match of the first round by a mile. Yeah, that'll be a good match. Um, Yeah, two very good players. Ostapenko can always make a match very fiery and add that extra element to it as well. So, yeah, it'll be good to watch. it is an interesting little section, isn't it, really? You know, with Fiontech not quite where she was earlier in the year. I, I think Anis Amova is a player you don't really want to run into this year. Um, she's kicking around in there. I think that'd be third round, potentially, for Ostapenko slash Zhang. Um, Sloane Stevens is one that is just so hard to predict who you're going to get. If Fiontech plays top-notch Sloane Stevens, she's definitely vulnerable to losing that match. Um I suspect she might not. Um, but yeah, I, you, you still have to pick Sviontek to come through this section, but it's by no means a foregone conclusion, I think. Yeah, it it's, could could potentially be a few banana skins in there. Sviontek's form has been far from perfect, given, and you know, perfect is the right word, because there was a period this year when she was perfect. Um, she lost in Car- to Caroline Garcia in Poland, which you know is not a terrible result. But then in Canada, she lost to um, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, who's playing very well. And then Madison Keys beat her um, in Cincinnati in her last match before the US Open. Calvin, d- does it concern you at all that Iga Shontek actually started losing matches, or is this just what happens sometimes in tennis? People lose matches. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's that time of the year where that sort of thing starts happening as well. Um, I'm less sure that she's going to win the U.S. Open, but I'm still sure that she is. Um, <laughs> okay. I think that's the best way of putting it. Yeah, which seems reasonable. I think most people would uh, would agree with that as well. Um, yeah, an interesting draw, some interesting names, but equally it, you never like to say, well, she'll play her in the fourth round because um, you know the chances of it actually happening seem, seem so slim with so many coin flips around. And look at last year's. Last year's tournament, although you know, Radicano won it, but just the whole draw was just... Absolute chaos. Yeah, correct. Uh, in, in some ways, the most surprising thing to happen in this women's draw would be a really, uh, really predictable one. That would be by far the biggest shock if, like, <laughs> yeah. we had like six of the top eight seeds in the quarterfinals. Um, on to section two, where we've got Garbina Muguruza, Petra Kvitova, Elise Mertens, and Jessica Pagula. Um, pretty much all the lowest ranked they could be uh, for their various lines, uh, apart from Muguruza. Muguruza's got Torsen in the first round, which I picked out as a potentially entertaining match because they basically both whack it. Um, George, have you got a, a good idea of who comes out of this? I mean, JPEG's playing very well. I think I'll say Tarsen at the minute. Um, oh, I meant the section. I meant the section. Oh, right. sorry, excuse me. Yeah, I think Tarsen will win that. Um, I think Pagula. Pagula's yeah. having a really good year. I think she's third um, in the race. Yeah. Kvitova's, you know, shown signs last week, but um, no, I think, I think, Pagula, and I, I think Pagula can beat Sviontek as well in the quarterfinals, should it come there. I think she's playing really good stuff, suits the US hard courts um, better than Sviontek does. So I, I don't fancy Sviontek to win this tournament at all, which seems absolutely mental to say like two months ago, but mm. I just don't think she's there at the minute. And I think there's real banana skins. I wouldn't be surprised if she lost Janice and over. I think Pagula can beat her. Um, yeah. So. 
Uh, let's move Going on against to... Calvin there. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to section three. Speaking of people who aren't really there, Paola Badosa is. I mean, Gabinia Muguruza is having a horrible year as well. We know that, but Paola Badosa uh, hasn't always been at her best uh, in 2022. Maybe because she's got the Netflix cameras trailing around after her. I don't know, um, but she is on a three-match losing streak coming into uh, the U.S. Open, including one against Isla Tomljanovic in Cincinnati, where she won the first set in a tiebreak and then only won two more games. George, you're shaking your head rather miserably. I'm shaking my head at this whole section because I just have... I, I literally couldn't pick who's coming through this. I, the seeded players are Bedosa, Azarenka, Karolina Pliskova and Belinda Bencic. I mean, I'm even struggling for like an... Un- Magda Lynette might come out of this. Kostyuk, possibly. I suppose so. Master Kostyuk seems like she's got a lot going on in her mind at the moment, which is completely mm. understandable, incidentally. I don't think that's unreasonable, but uh, like... this hmm. Actually, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you who definitely could come out of this is Serana Kostyuk. This is, this is very like Kostyuk territory of everyone in this section is not playing that well. Um, I mean, to be fair... Benchich does have a pretty decent record at the US Open in terms of getting to quarters and semis, so I probably would still pick her. If Azarenka was in any sort of form, she would fly through this section, but she was dreadful against Raducanu the other week, and there's been a bit of humdrum around the, the match for peace, etc., so I'm not sure where where she's at exactly either at the minute. I think kind of the issue with predicting the women's is that with the possible exception of maybe one or two players at the top end and seven or eight at the bottom end, you'd give any of the other 100 players in the draw about 50-50 against any of the other 100 players in the draw, mm. seeded or not, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I think most matches are just 50-50 matches and that's it's nothing really to do with matchups or form or anything. You just pick 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 any two players, and they'd be close to fifty fifty, and that's why you get so many shocks. Hmm. Yeah, it's just it's there's a lot of coin tosses, and you know, coin toss is famously difficult to predict. Yeah. Um, speaking of coin tosses, I think Emma Raducanu's first round match is a bit of a coin toss, and I think of the ninety odd players she could have drawn in the first round, I think this is one of the worst. Uh, she's got Elise Cornet. Uh, in the first round, who admittedly doesn't necessarily have the power to blow Raducanu away, but she will ask some pretty serious questions. Uh, very simply, George, how confident are we that Raducanu gets through this match against Corne? Not very. Um, <laughs> Corne's had a Corne's had a pretty decent year at the Slams. Um, obviously upset Sviontek at Wimbledon. She had a good run at the French. A um, lot of experience. Um, tricky, tricky customer. Yeah, I mean, there were signs last week or so from Raducanu that she she could potentially mount a decent run, but uh, I don't know. I, as you say, I think this is a really, really awkward draw. I'm not sure exactly what Cornet's ranking is at the minute, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Wimbledon run would have made her seeded, potentially. Um, so, you know, that, that that's a pretty tough draw from that perspective. Um I mean, just just talking about a potential run beyond that. I mean, Taylor Townsend's um, a tricky player if you face her. So round two, so Siniakova, um, and you know, one of Naomi Osaka or Danielle Collins round three wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be that ideal 
either for Raducanu. So I'm, I think she'll do very well to reach the round, fourth round in that section. And it wouldn't surprise me if it was a round one exit. Mm. And fourth round, she then gets Wimbledon champion Elena Rybakina. So, you know, it get, it gets better. Um, Calvin, Elise Cornet, she's 37 in the world, by the way. So she would have been seeded had she got points at Wimbledon. But do you share George's pessimism about this? Uh, I don't know if it's pessimism. I'd say, again, it's 50-50. Mm. That's, that's, you know, where, where I am on it. I, I just think it's a 50-50 match. Um, I'd, I'd struggle to pick it either way. It wouldn't surprise me if either one of them won it. Mm. <laughs> we Which, would to keep... be fair, is, is kind of about right. Um, yeah. Like you say, Cornet should be seeded. If you take out one three-week period a year ago, then Raducanu would probably, you know, they would probably, she'd be maybe 50, 60 in the world. Mm. Yeah. Would you would you give her any hope against Osaka if we did get that round three match? If Osaka gets there, um, Osaka will beat her. Because um, she'll be three wins. She'll have had two matches under two her belt. Matches, and sorry, yeah. yeah. And she did absolutely destroy Daniel Collins earlier this year, didn't she? Was it one of the? Was it the one she made the final? Miami, maybe. Loading. Osaka, Loading. I mean, not Radicanu. Loading. I'm Can't sure load. I watched Osaka absolutely frozen. destroy. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? <laughs> I'm still here. I promise. Right. Osaka, oh, right there. Quarterfinals, two and one. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think it will be Osaka, but. I'm not sure it'll be Radicano. I think she beat Taylor Townsend if she plays a Radicano will. But you've got, you've got to be picking you've got to be picking Osaka for fantasy, don't you? Unseeded. Oh. She's nailed on. <laughs> Two time winner. <laughs> <laughs> you got Andrescu unseeded as well though. Who will may well come on to, but yeah, you've got to gotta be back in her. Um, right, let's move on to the bottom half of the women's draw, which is the one that we'll see first, funnily enough, because they are on Monday. Um, we'll start with the, the top section of it. Simona Halep, Jill Teichman, Madison Keys, Coco Goff are the seeded players. Um, a few other interesting names in there. Zhang Shui, for example, who's got Teichman in the first round. Um, I suppose Camille Georgie is always an interesting watch one way or another. Uh, Coco Goff is on lots of posters here, George. I've already seen her face all over the city. It's obviously big for the tournament that she goes well, doesn't it, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. It'd be a good match with Halep if we got that fourth round. Halep mm. starts to find a bit of form. Um, but Goff's... We've kind of said this a few times, haven't we, really? That Goff's had what feels like a, a good year without it being an exceptional year by the standards we think she can get to, but she's still top five in the race, or was last time I was checking. Um this is the one that can turn this into an exceptional year, this tournament. There's no reason why she can't go and win it. Um, but Halep will be... And Keys, to be fair. Keys has found a bit of bit of form. That's her third well, round so potential, isn't it? Third round. So that, that, that definitely wouldn't be an easy match. But if she can come through this section, she'll be, she'll be heading into the quarterfinals and beyond with a lot of confidence. And yeah, I've... I think she's she's definitely got as good a chance as anyone to win this tournament. It's worth pointing out that Coco Goff has won one match at the US Open since 2019, which is quite surprising. It's literally her worst Grand Slam tournament, um, which I don't know if that surprises anyone else, but it surprised me. Um, I mean, she 
she lost to Osaka one year, didn't she? That was um, when she went to the third round, yeah. I think she's not always had third round, yeah. Um, Severstova yeah, and I mean, it, Sloane Stevens are the other people who beat her. I mean, they're, they're not. She's not lost to anyone who's bad. Let's put it that way. I mean, mm. Severstova is an absolute nightmare on her day, and she's had had good results at the US Open in the past. But um, yeah, look, she'll she'll want to make she want to rectify that. She's going to be a massive star in the US. Um, but you've got to deliver on home turf, and that's often the hardest place to do it. So, yeah, big test again. But I, I, don't, I don't see why she can't win this tournament. Mm. Um, let's keep going down the draw. Uh, section six is where we find Maria Sakari, who I was at a drinks thing with last night. And um, she was looking extremely tall. And I was like, I don't remember Maria Sakari being this tall. And then I realized she was wearing like four inch platform heels. Uh, which probably explains why she was looking quite so tall. Um, Presume it wasn't a one-on-one drinks, James. No, no, it was very much a cocktail party with Martina Navratilova and Chrissy Evert and Isla Tomjanovic and nice. Madison Keys uh, and Rob Moore. Um, so you know all all the big names. Uh, Maria Sakari <laughs> is the number three seed. Uh, all, she's... all the elegant names in tennis. <laughs> Well, it was at this place called Town Tennis Club, which is a tennis club on Manhattan Island. And it's amazing. You know, it's just in the middle of a load of tower blocks and there's this, there's six green clay tennis courts. It's very strange. It's also incredibly elite, as you can imagine. Um, there weren't a lot of young people there, put it that way. Uh, in Sakari's section, we've got Alison Risk Armitage, Caroline Garcia and Beatrice Haddad Meyer. I mean, if we get Garcia against Haddad Meyer, that is you know, in a third round match of real high form, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, Andre school fancier chances coming out of this section. Um, I still think, but probably looking at Garcia, maybe. it sounds weird to say Garcia is the favorite, I suppose, but Sakari's not really done it this year, has she, to be honest. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think Garcia's got a good chance, but I'd like to see Andre school come through this section. Uh, Calvin, we always hear from tennis players that they don't look at the draw, you know, that they don't wonder who they might get in the third or fourth round. Is it a universal truth or is it mostly bollocks? Um, I know a lot of people who don't look at the draw. Um, I know a few do. I think it's just personal preference. Um, Yeah, I think you probably tend to look at the draw if you're at one of the extremes of form. (laughs) <laughs> if you're in really good form, you'd have a look at it and think, like, you know, what's my what's my route to the title looking like here? <laughs> and if you're in really bad form, you're probably looking at, you know, right, have I got any chance of getting anything here? But <laughs> in between, I think they probably just, as the, in the main, they probably just don't look. Fair enough. Um, right, well, we, we obviously obsess about it much more than players, which is true of almost everything, I find. Um, we've got two more sections of women's draw to go, and I've got a bus to catch in about 10 minutes, so we're up against the clock. Uh, Ons Jabur, Shelby Rogers, Veronica Kudamatova, and Daria Kasatkina. Kasatkina's playing Harriet Dart in the first round. Um, Georgia, uh, there's a couple of unseeded players in here who might be of interest as well. Like Zidanecek, once upon a time. Uh, Sarah Saribes Tormo again, once upon a time. Any any thoughts on who you might have coming out of here? Um, I mean, you'd hope Jabor for the sake of the tournament, to be honest. Yeah. Um, 
Kasat Keen has actually not had a bad year either. I'd say probably one of those two are the ones you, you want coming through, apart from, obviously, Harriet Dart to charge the US Open quarterfinals would be grace, if if somewhat unlikely, perhaps. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see Shelby Rogers do it, though, if I was picking someone that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be the go-to favourite. Um, yeah, so probably one of those three. Uh, but Jabor should on paper do it, but that normally means they won't. <laughs> yeah, quite. I mean, on I think my internet might be doing funny things here, but I will soldier on. Uh, Calvin, on Jabour's game on, on these American hard courts, I mean, what do we make of it? For example, Ash Barty's coach always said she couldn't play or couldn't win the US Open. On Jabour's game is not dissimilar. Uh, yeah, but, you know, they're both good players. I didn't entirely agree with what Ashley Barty's coach said about that. You know, good players are the balls that are only going to make. They might make a two or three percent difference, but nothing more than that. Um, I, I'd find it hard to believe that that would cost Jabour. I think it'll. What'd be more of a concern for Jabour is that what happened at Wimbledon, where I think everyone expected a, a lot better at the end, and it just mm. didn't happen. Mm. And whether there's any hangover from that. Mm. Yeah, it must leave scars. Those kind of performances. You, you'd think I would think so. Would. Yeah. Um, yes, Harriet Dart, as you mentioned, uh, the other. Brit in the main draw um, up against Daria Kasatkina. Um, I mean, it's not not a bad opportunity for her. She's having a good year. I think she's having a career year um, up inside the top 100 for the first time, for example. Uh, and I think she was actually briefly ahead of Raducanu in the race, even until about three weeks ago, which is quite remarkable. Um, into the bottom section where we find the 2021 finalist Leila Fernandez. And a whole world of letters after names. Letters like Q for qualifier, LL for lucky loser, and PR for protected ranking. Um, including one Serena Williams. Up against Danka Kovinic in the first round. She'll play either Christian or Kontaveit uh, in the um, second round. Kontaveit, I should say. Uh, in the second round. George, I sort of went into this thinking Serena Williams is going to lose first round to no matter who she plays. Yeah. I think it's an okay draw. Um, I, I, I still think any kind of self-respecting top 100 player should be able to win that at the minute. And I'm not being rude. I just don't think she's anywhere near where where she should be um, or has has been in the past. I think it's a great opportunity to beat Serena. If you're not going to beat her now, you're never going to beat her um, sort of situation. Um, that said, it's definitely a chance. And if she goes to round two, you know, Contemate's really not sitting in the houses on fire this year. Um, you know, it's, it's another really open section. I mean, Fernandez obviously went to the final here last year. Krachikova's had for Makova is someone I really like, but she's barely been fit. She's been pulling out of tournaments in the build-up to this um, with injury, so don't know how well she'll do. Um, I've got a bit of a feeling Tom Lianovic might be one of the fourth-round players. Tom mm. Lianovic and Fernandez, I think, would probably be my guess for the fourth round in this section, which you know on paper doesn't sound overly strong or exciting, but. You know, if if Serena Williams is fifty percent fit of what she was 
three years ago she can still come out of this section to be perfectly honest but she's probably not she's probably about 10 percent, so probably won't calvin any disagreements with that serena williams um damning verdict from george no um i thought she's looked terrible in the two matches that she's played um mm. so I, I think anybody i wouldn't expect to get through the first round even certainly not two rounds um I it's going to be interesting to see what Fernandez does. It's, it's amazing, really, isn't it? When you think what happened last year, and neither Raducanu or Fernandez have remotely kicked on mm. from making the final. You'd think at least one of them would have gone on to really cement themselves into a top ten position. But I mean, there's even an argument that do we think Fernandez has done worse than Raducanu? She's had a better run at was it the French that she got to. She had a, she's had a big injury as well, well a, a reasonable sized injury. Yeah. She had that foot injury. She won a title. She won a title. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, fair point. I, th- I think she has done better, to be fair, but yeah. it's not been. Yeah, I mean, considering we were really portraying, well, I say we, people were really portraying last year's final as, oh, final of the future to yeah. huge yeah. major champions, which they still could be, don't get me wrong, but um, it's not quite panning out that way. and yeah, we'll see. I'd say Fernandez is far more likely to reach the second week than Raducanu, though. Yeah, yeah. agreed. Um, Fernandez, incidentally, is 28th in the race and Raducanu is 60th, which I think tells you who's done better since the uh, US Open final. Um, that is mostly all we've got time for. Uh, a couple of quick hits. Um, you may have noticed a stink over the uh, match for Ukraine, which is a load of uh, exhibition matches held here in New York on Wednesday night, I believe. Um, Victoria Azarenka was down to play, uh, but she was then removed from it um, after some criticism from the likes of Marta Kostyuk, uh, because she's obviously Belarusian and the Belarusian involvement in the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, so Azarenka was pulled out. I, I don't think there was much bad blood on Azarenka's part. I think she gets it. Um, and I think it's understandable, to be fair. Um, some better news. Angelique Kerber has pulled out the US Open because she's pregnant. Um, congratulations to her. Um, not a huge effect on the draw, I suppose, but she said it would have been unfair to be two against one, which I thought was uh, quite a fun way of putting it. Um, and also, Forbes have released their list of the highest-paid tennis players in the last 12 months. Um, a topic, Roger Federer, with $90 million. A, a distant second, Naomi Osaka on 56. Uh, Serena, 35. I think the most surprising one for me was Daniil Medvedev at $19 million. I mean, I know he's world number one, but... I do feel like he's uh, struggling a bit for the old image at the moment, given that, well, he's Russian for a start and therefore can't earn certain places and certain monies. Um, but yeah, and then Kei Nishikori at number eight, 13 million, proof of how big the uh, the Japanese market is, if you can crack it. Um, any final words for us before the US Open kicks off, George? Uh, nothing particular. I hope you enjoy it, James. It's a fun I... tournament to do. I shall do my best. I'm already quite tired, and I woke up once an hour every hour last night, so the jet lag is uh, really kicking in. But yeah, I'll do my best, and I will do my best to you for you listeners to uh, provide Podlets most days. I'm not going to say every day because I'm here for the first time and I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out. Um, but I'll do my best. The fantasy tennis game will be live in a matter of about six hours once the last qualifier has been placed then the game will go live. Um, You've got until Monday, 4pm BST to enter. The link will be on our Twitter. I'll put it in the show description as well. 
Um, you can enter as many times as you like. It's for fun. It's free. It's for pride. Or in my case, since I have none left after Wimbledon, it's just because it's my job. Um, thanks very much for listening as always. Please do leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. And most importantly, make sure you come back next week and more often. Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.